Welcome to another episode of North American Deer Talk, where the fusion of facts and opinions become the education and entertainment for all. This is your host, Josh Newton, and we have another great show for you today. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. It is March 14th. Welcome back to North American Deer Talk. Oh, we have a great show for you today. We uh, we do a really nice uh, long-form interview with the executive director of Nadifa, Sean Schaefer. Uh, but first, I'd like to go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Just remember, they help make North American Deer Talk possible. Our first sponsor of the show today is... The Whitetail Guide. Now, the Whitetail Guide is a uh, a multifaceted organization. They have a um, their their primary driver is the the hardback cover uh, breeder book that they make, and basically that's a, a compilation of all the breeder books in our industry. It has pedigrees, uh, antler sizes, etc. So it's a really great resource for breeders when they're looking to pick out a, a particular sire. So check out that Whitetail Guide hardcover book. They also pop, um, uh, publish two uh, softcover magazines, and uh, one's the fall edition and one's the Superdoe catalog. So you can check those out. Um, if you want to uh, get a hold of the Whitetail Guide, I'll put a link in the show notes there. You can check that out. Uh, give uh, uh, Ivan and Elam a call over there. They'll go ahead and take care of you. And just remember, they do graphic design work. So if you need a, uh, a booth display done, you can you can uh, have them do it. If you need a logo done, they do that. Uh, business cards, flyers, printing material, all that stuff. So check out the Whitetail Guide. Again, uh, the link will be in the show notes there for you with a contact number and a, an email address for you. So check that out. Uh, second sponsor of our show is Servid Solutions. Now, if you're going to be doing uh, vaccinations for the spring, you got to get uh, get your orders in. Uh, with Servid Solutions here in the next few weeks, uh, it's it's coming down to crunch time. We have a stock of our, our EcoVac product, which is a, a digestive-based vaccine, and we also have our new vac product, which covers uh, fuso, uh, abscesses, and, a, and quite a few different pneumonia strains. So uh, you can check those out at servitsolutions.com. We've recently launched a, a new section in our membership area. It's got some phenomenal features. We have uh, inventory and, and record keeping, so you can vaccinate animals, uh, give treatments, you can load necropsy reports, uh, pictures. It's just a, a great resource to kind of compile all your health data management. And we've also in, incorporated some uh, reporting features for your veterinarians. So, you know, at the end of the year, you can uh, print out a nice report and you'll be all good to go with all your your records. So check them out, www.servitesolutions.com. And with that, we'll jump right into our interview with the executive director of Nadifa, Sean Schaefer. Sean, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Josh. Very good. Very good. Great, great. So um, I guess what we'll do is uh, we'll get into uh, talking about 
Nadifa and what Nadifa is, what it stands for, um, some of the history on that, and then we'll go ahead and we'll get into some, some current events. So go ahead and tell us um, what N-A-D-E-F-A is and what it stands for. The North American Deer Farmer Association is, uh, I guess you'd call it a mothership or maybe the umbrella over the basically the National Servant Association in, throughout North America, Canada all the way into Mexico. You know, all three countries have a very healthy, robust uh, cervid industry. We represent all the species. You know, so cervid cervid covers? Deer species, all okay. the deer. Uh, I know sometimes there's a little bit of misunderstanding between, you know, elk, for instance, are they a deer, you know, and are they, you know, they are a cervid, they are a deer species. Sure. Um, reindeer, fallow deer, axis, uh, you know, we represent any of those that fall under that taxonomy of Deer, yep. gotcha, know? gotcha. So, um, so in thirty-three years, I think, is, is that what it is? Yeah, we're on our thirty-fourth year. Yeah. Great. Now, how how long have you been executive director of Nadifa? This will be my eighth year, I believe. That's so awesome. Yeah, winding down here a little bit. We got, <laughs> I got, I believe, I got two years left in this contract. Okay. So we'll. Uh, well, that's a long, We'll see where it goes from there. That's a long time. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. So Nadifa's purpose um, is really obviously it, it represents all these these cervid farms around the country. Um, what type of work do you do to represent them? Yeah, and it's very diverse. You know, uh, from the regulatory side, you know, uh, state uh, animal health officials. You know, I, I work with with all the various governments. You know, uh, the regulators, whether it's on the wildlife side or on the animal health side. Um, trying to get consistency across the nation, you know, so we're all, you know, basically a level fair playing field for everybody in the, in the business. Uh, and, and then trying to keep commerce open and moving. To have an industry, you must have commerce. Animals sure. need to move. Um, to, the, to the regulatory side, or not regular, excuse me, to the research side, to address some of the issues that we have uh, that we'll discuss later on here. But uh, with any business, any industry, any, um, especially on the animal Side, you got you have health issues. You've got you know uh, nutrition issues, reproduction issues. I mean, there are different things that we we try to you know champion the research for that and, and keep them going. Um, you know, try to address the needs of today, I guess, and, and as well as the needs of tomorrow. So the research and then uh, oh the promotion of the industry. You know, we do a lot with uh, various shows, uh, everything from, you know, promotion of the hunting industry part of it to the promotion of the deer farming as well. Uh, we sponsor several different shows, the Keith Warren um, Deer Farming, uh, Deer and Wildlife Stories, yep. to the uh, Doug Roberts uh, Conquest 200. Sure. You know, so uh, just trying to get into everybody's, you know, home, I guess, so that the uh, whole family can see it and hear about it, read about it, see, you know, see it for themselves. Uh, we publish a Deer Farmer magazine, you know, that uh, quarterly publication that uh, trying to, I guess, keep everybody informed of what's going on and what we're doing. And, and honestly, that's probably the toughest thing is is informing the members what we're doing, you know. And so, yeah, it seems like we're always busy running, doing something, but we're not taking the time to let people know what we truly are doing. So I, think- I really enjoy a a podcast such as yours, sure, getting that information out there. No, glad to glad to have you here. I know, um, it, you know, I serve I serve on our our state association board, and and we find that, like you said, you're you're doing the work, and you you're you're always busy, and you're always you're always getting things accomplished. But there's always that, and I don't. It's not a disconnect. I don't want to call it a disconnect, but there's always a difficulty with getting that information to membership 
because I know we, we're always like, you know, I'm always trying to write an article or put out some sort of, of information back to them on the stuff, and you almost get caught up with the refs because you're doing all that work. And, and, and I have to commend you because I, I read the articles that you put out, and, you, you know, you do a great job on, on keeping us up to date. So I, is, I appreciate that. It is a struggle, uh, you know, and especially when, like myself, I, I consider myself a very poor writer, you know, and I just despise it. I mean, to sit down and have to... You know, put pen to paper or sit down and type on those keys <laughs> to make it sound, you know, educated is, is the difficult part, I guess. Sure. But, you know, we do write between our Deer Farmer magazine and, you know, the Deer Breeders Gazette, the Pennsylvania Deer Farmer Association, Ohio Deer Farmer Association, Oklahoma's, the Midwest. You, I mean, op- you opened up the can of oh worms. you got to name them all. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, I do write for most of those. and But I always wonder, does anybody read them, you know, in this day and age, uh, you know, I don't know. We should do more. Like I said on our on the website, uh, keeping that up to date is a struggle. Facebook. I am not on Facebook. Nadifa does have a Facebook, and and I've got some people that try to keep it up to date. But you know, it'd be sweet to have the time to sit down every day and just type up what we did today or what we're going to do. And but when you get the hundreds of emails that come in per day, mm-hmm. on top of your, you know, what you need to read to keep up with the research and the regular regulations and. You know, this latest TB rule that just came out, it's like 246 pages, you know, and to, to sit and read through all that, I mean, to, to take the time then throughout your day also to sit down on that Facebook, and God bless it, I mean, some people love it, but I, I've yet to, I guess, jump off that, sure. that bridge yet and sure. get into that, so. Um, so that was, a, I mean, that was a lot of a lot of things that, that Nadiva does. I'd say that... Um, most likely your your primary driver seems to as of late seems to be the research and the education obviously but let's let's go ahead and we'll we'll talk about the uh regulatory aspect of of the deer industry um what types of things um i guess let's go let's go back one um how how has regulation played a part in where the deer industry is today you know, a big one we can look back is even like the TV rules and regulations, how we've changed those. And I remember we used to have to test every or we had to test every year for three years to become, you know, TV accredited, uh, Bruce Lose is certified. And and then you'd get to skip a year, you had a relief year. And then you had to test the whole herd again, you know, and it was every other year, every other year for life. Even though you were probably only selling 20% of your herd, you were testing 100% of your herd every other year. And, you know, and it's kind of what I cut my teeth on and probably got me into the position I'm in today was doing that TB crusade mm. and, and getting that change to where we could test for two years in a row to become accredited and certified. And then from there, you could skip three years, you know, so you didn't have to test it every third year. And uh, that was a huge, huge undertaking to get that done and, and a heck of a leap forward once we got it done. And, 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 from there is what led into the, I guess, some of the research stuff with the new TV blood test, you know, that we're all using. You know, you think back to the old skin test running through twice. You know, that was all Nadifa driven, you know, and, and myself really heavily involved in that. Um, but what that also did is the doors that opened up, you know, on the regulatory side, Nadifa is also your national arm on the federal level. So they got our involvement with USDA as well as many state, state animal health officials. And, you know, you, you're, yourself, you sit on your board there in Pennsylvania and you work closely with the Pennsylvania um, Game Commission and the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. Um, myself and the North American Deer Farmers, we, all, we try to be that link between 
USDA, the federal regulators, and all the state animal health officials. So, you know, Florida's doing the same thing, Pennsylvania's doing the same thing that Texas is doing. I mean, we're all trying to get them on the same sheet of music. So, you know, basically say leveling that playing field. But um, And it's amazing how one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. Right. You would think, well, hey, they're the, you know, they're, the, they're, the, they're in charge. They know what they're doing. Well, there's many times you go talk to them, the first thing they say is, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, that's the government. Away. Yeah, it's the government. That's, the government, man. that's our don't, leaders. <laughs> they, don't, they don't talk to anybody. Um, so I'm sure that, that um, uh, CWD, you talk about CWD daily with probably more people than you, you care to admit. Um, why, don't we, why don't we talk about uh, what CWD is and then how it's regulated in our industry, and then we'll get into currently where we're at with that. You know, the chronic wasting disease, uh, I, I started this in this industry Jan, uh, January 5th, 1998. And uh, I actually looking into and exploring it a little bit, uh, December 1997, I actually attended a, a chronic wasting disease meeting, you know, where they brought up Mike Miller and, uh, and uh, Beth Williams, you know, so the godmother and godfathers of chronic wasting disease, you know, mm-hmm. out of Colorado and Wyoming. And, and you know, went to an inform, information meeting with them and learned about this chronic wasting disease. And, you know, at the time, no one really knew much about it. And like I said, weeks later, I was actually in the industry buying deer. And I submitted my first sample, I think, in February oh, of wow. 1998. Wow. So, so I've been CWD testing for a lot of years. And, and what is... What does that in, what does that entail? What is what is CWD testing? I remove the uh, the lymph node and the brain stem out of every deer that dies, and I submit it in for uh, IHC, amino histochemistry testing. Okay, you know? and that's um, that's a uh, a post mortem test. That's the only way currently uh, to, to at the time to at test the time. Them, yeah, nowadays um, I actually have the only whole herd live tested CWD herd in, in existence. Uh, so what does that what does that mean? <laughs> Uh, a couple of years ago, to, to get the ball rolling, um, we needed a, we needed a, I guess a control group. You know that we're working on these live tests with these rectal biopsies, uh, tonsil test, uh, uh, sampling the lymph nodes, blood test, uh, nasal swabs. Uh, we, we had many different things we were looking at, but you know they didn't have a control herd. Well, um, as I said earlier, my herd's been testing since February of 1998. So mm-hmm. we felt pretty comfortable that my herd was clean. And the researchers came in there, and when we ran the deer herd through to do the TB and the, and the brucellosis testing, we took a, a rectal biopsy, or the, retrofring, or the um, rectal mucosa, rectal mucosa, thank you. We um, um, sampled the follicles there. We pulled blood. We stuck a big, huge swab up their nose to, to the upper nasal pack. I can't think what that cavities called up there but it's where this cwd is where they figure it actually probably enters the, the animal where they breathe and in, in, you know inhale some of this dust um and we drew blood on all of them for the cwd testing as well as pulled hair did dna and, and when when was that uh that's been several years a couple years now it's been two years okay. ago so yeah. with so i guess as as the industry has grown and and we find that um, at least uh, p- politically or from a regulatory standpoint, that CWD is becoming um, more and more prevalent um, and that the regulations are becoming stricter and stricter on it. Uh, we, we've, I think we have, an, as an industry, have come to the, the, the point where we say we need, we need to do something different than to just test these dead animals. So 
the, that live test is really the the start of that. Right. I think, and I think we're there. That's the neat thing about this. If you and I had today. this conversation today, today, if if two years ago we were sitting here, I'd be scratching and squirming in the chair, wondering, you know, saying I really don't have an answer. But right now, I feel very confident. We've got three great, great tests. No, out of all those tests we did in my own personal deer, uh, the blood test failed miserably. Miserably, okay. couldn't get to do anything. It, it, well, that, while that would be a nice test, it didn't work. So you're saying that's that's not an option. That's not an option. It's okay. not even on the radar. It's there's people working on it yet. Yep. There's some that are thinking or they're getting close, but the test they had that they thought was close did not work. You know, right. Sometimes things don't work in the real world. You know, when you're doing something in the lab and you've got the answers, when it's not totally blinded. You know, it's like taking a, a written test. If you know the answers, you can do pretty good on the mm-hmm. questions, you know. But um, when it's blinded, all of a sudden things are a lot different, you know, when right. you got out in the real world. But the the rectal biopsies worked excellent. It's probably the thing that really shined the most out, out of that. And, mm-hmm. um, another one working with here and uh, is the, is the tonsillar biopsy. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the, the scientific name, but... Um, Anyway, they've been using that, and the, the wildlife people and their research out in Estes Park and uh, in parts of Wyoming, they've been using it for, my gosh, over probably eight years. Okay. And getting very, very good results, very successful. I mean, that thing is, and, you know, when you think about it, you know, getting to the tonsil of a deer is, I mean, that's in the very back of the throat, tough to see back there. I mean, and, and you know, they don't open their mouth very wide, but it's possible to do. You know, a little practice, a little training. I mean, it is a test that is is not hard to do, accomplish, and and highly accurate. That's the neat thing about mm-hmm. it. So it, it does have its challenges, and uh, you know, so but I think we're addressing it. The biggest thing, I guess, we've got the ball rolling in our favor. To where up until this point, the animal health officials, the regulate regulatory part of it, as well as the researchers and the veterinarians, nobody wanted to even do it. Just because they kept hearing this, you know, oh, this is tough for cross-contamination, evasive, too evasive, all this. Well, it's an industry that, that does laparoscopic AI, embryo transfer, you know, we collect semen. You know, we, we handle these animals. Sure. You know, this isn't some deer we're having to capture out of the wild and bring in. These are our, we're talking about the breeding herd. We can do these. And, you know, so as just... I mean, within the last few months, this has really exploded how people have looked into it and said, you know, this is not that hard. So I see great things coming up for that tonsillar biopsy at this time. So you mentioned the tests um, themselves. How how does does that affect um, our industry the way it is? So in other words, how how do you envision these tests being used to positively affect our, our regulatory aspect. You know, and, and that's a great question because, you know, the, the third one we have is this, uh, the retropharyngeal, the medial retropharyngeal lymph nodes, you know, very tough to get to. They're up in the throat, you know, they're right beside the jugular. These are, these are the same lymph nodes? The same that, lymph nodes we're, we're submitting on the dead animal. Okay. We're going to go in there and slice, and we actually did this in Wisconsin. We went in there and sliced into that lymph node took out a piece of the sample, a t- tissue and submitted it to the lab to do the exact same IHC testing, the immunohistochemistry, that they're doing on the dead deer, gave them the exact same sliver of material that they take when you yep. send that lymph node in. So we used the gold standard you, test on the gold standard tissue. But you did it on a live, on a live deer. So we kept it alive. But back to your point, how do we use this now? That test takes a little bit more. A little bit, it's, more it's a major surgery, so it's a little bit more expensive. 
Um, so as I look at any of these live tests, I see them for the guy. Right now, the issue that's facing this industry is when a herd is found that's positive. And then, you know, the deer that farms that have sold deer to that herd, all of a sudden now they're caught up in a trace back. Deer that left that positive farm trace forwards. At this point in time and accuracy of the tests we have, those deer that leave a positive herd probably have to be put down for further testing to be able to clear them other herds. But the deer, the, the other people that supplied deer to that positive herd that are now to trace back, we need some way to go back and test them herds without necessarily putting them down. Or the deer that those trace back farms sold to other farmers, now they're caught up in a quarantine situation, you know, on the individual animals. We need a test for those individual animals. I don't think, and this is where the fear comes in and some people out there is, Will we be forced to do these live tests on our whole herds to become certified like we do with the brucellosis and the TB? And, and my answer to that is no. That would be my charge is I would, I would oppose that. We have already, like I said, I've been testing since February 1998. Right. I've proven my herd is clean. Sure. I don't need to prove my certification anymore. But I do need an avenue. If I sell a load of hunt bucks to someone in you know Oklahoma or Iowa or somewhere and all of a sudden years later they come up with a positive and one of my deers on that ranch now they're going to come back and look at my herd I need some way to be able to get out from underneath that do, do you think that this this type of testing could also um, have a positive impact on the states that are closed border states I'll tell you that was something that really opened you know I hadn't even thought of honestly until uh, a year ago when you know, I did my herd, or after I'd done my herd, I was visiting with a, another gentleman, and probably one of bigger breeders in the industry, and and we were visiting about this live testing, how it could be used, and I told him, I said, I wouldn't support using this on a whole herd basis or using this for test, you know, for testing my animals for movement. And he said, Well, I would. I said, Well, no, why would you do that? We've already proven that. We've already, we've done what needs to be done to move right. for commerce in this state. And he told me, he said, yeah, but how well has that worked in Florida, Louisiana, New York, Indiana. you know, Indiana, Michigan, Kentucky. and Kentucky. And, you know, and really, I guess we can sit here and beat our heads against the wall all day long and, and beat our fists on the table and say this is what's right. But at the same time, the border's closed. Right. So if, you know, not, you might not want to do it with a load of hunt bucks, but, you know, if you've got a high-dollar breeding doe or a package of does or maybe a high-dollar breeding buck, uh, by golly, I'd test that animal. I think, you know, yeah, I it, it's not a, they're not hard tests. They're not hard tests to do at all. Even the one that's going in and testing the lymph nodes, um, God, on an individual animal basis, if you had a $300 into that test, but you sold a $5,000, 10000 $50,000 animal, well, to get that okay. into a closed state, that would make sense. I think it would, in addition to the states that currently have deer farming, I think there may be a potential to open up the states that, um, you know, don't don't allow deer farming at all. Maybe you know, you maybe know what, maybe some of the western states decide, hey, you know, we we have a viable test now for 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 CWD on live animals. We can ensure that we're we're not spreading CWD. It's always that's always their their mantra. We don't want to spread CWD on the landscape. When you and I both know that right. we have the most controlled um, herds in the country. Period. You know, that's a super point there because you look at. Uh, North Carolina, for instance, just basically tipped the scales in the industry's favor to where they're finally allowing new breeders to come back into it. Um, trying to get an industry up and going or sparked, I guess, again. They, you know, they've always had an industry, but it really was strangled down by, this, by the chronic wasting disease. 
So not only could a, a state like that grow at a faster pace, but you take Arkansas, Mississippi, you know, you Georgia. Know, Georgia. There's several states out there. Tennessee, you know, can't, uh, you, they, have, they farm every servant species there is except white whitetail. Yeah, and so that makes no sense. You ship and them just, all in there. And just to, just to be clear to everybody, uh, whitetail deer is the predominant species that's farmed in the United States anyway. So, Which I mean, is why I mention them a lot, too, especially yeah. myself as being a whitetail deer breeder, and yeah. I probably should talk about all the species because that's what the North American deer farmers Absolutely. represent. But the, the truth is, as you said, the majority of of the industry is whitetail deer. Well, right and now. a lot yeah. of, I, I mean, it's, 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 today it's the whitetail deer farmers that are, are funding these types of projects and, and Nadifa and these other organizations. So There's it's no not doubt about it. It's, it's not to say that, that the other animal species, the owners of them, are not generous in their in their contributions right. to the to the association. Because this not is equal an equal problem in the elk industry. You know, it absolutely the, the whitetails, is. Uh, you know, there's a few mule deer breeders out there that's starting to hit the reindeers a little bit, you know. Uh, you know the one big thing, and we give a lot of time, we've spent a lot of time ashore already talking about chronic wasting disease, but and I've had someone ask me, hey what next? Where's this? What's going to happen with the industry when you look at the CWD in the wild? And you know what happens when it's me next? What do I do to protect myself? But you know, it, it, it we give it so much attention. I think because you know the media, uh, the regulatory bodies, you know, which basically forced upon us. You know, we know we've got more issues with mycoplasma, uh, EHD, blue tongue, but. At the same time, you know, I can think back over the last 18 years, and I can name you by name the herds that have had CWD. I mean, and really, we had several, we almost went five years without a case at all. And, you know, and I was getting, it was the point where the industry is about ready to tar and feather me because I was the one up there kind of having to, because I, you know, I've seen what's happening on the research side of it. I see what the regulatory people are doing. I know what the scientists are saying. And so I'm probably more privy and back to that communication breakdown. Maybe I'm not getting it out to the people of the membership as well as I should. And and that along with this Facebook and, you know, <laughs> websites and whatever else, people, they believe what they read on, on the Internet. You know, that bonjour, you know, it must be true. You know? So so anyway, uh, you know, it got to where, you know, the perfect storm finally happened. I think we had a case, you know, where a deer farmer... For however he got it somewhere found he got CWD into his herd and that farmer went out of business and, and had a herd dispersal sale shipped deer to a lot of different states and we know of two herds for sure that had trace outs from that as well as uh, a third herd that had possibly possibly got animals there too which now uh, when they do the trace outs from that one is spider webbed out to six more herds and you know um, that di did not have positives, but they're being held up in these trace backs again. So, but regardless, if you take that one out of the equation, all of them are tiny. When you, you know, we had, we have the herd over here had a positive, or this one over here had a positive, but they're not affecting everybody else. Um, so I said, maybe the perfect storm happened in the one that should have been the wake up call to everybody to say, hey, the program's working, but we need the program. We, it's not time to right. go away from the program yet. And, but what I do see in the near future, this live testing that's coming on board and the, the tools we have, when we bring these tools in our toolbox, it's going to give us the, 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 the avenue, I guess, or to give us the ability to put this behind us and make it to where it is not such a huge thing. The industry can manage this disease. It's a disease that, you know, takes years to have an impact upon an animal. Uh, you and I both know when you look at the, the average age of our deer going to the hunt ranch is 
two to three years old, sure. three and a half years of age, they're going there being hunted. And, you know, they never live long enough to be, you know, no different than, I guess, many of the other animal agriculture industries. You know, they're, they're growing a, a bigger product at a younger age, yep. you know, and a healthier yeah, product. I was going to say, it's a better quality product, too. Right. And that's, I mean, it's, that's the, that's really the, the capitalistic system that's driving that you know we want to produce the best product we can in the shortest amount of time that, right. there's 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 no question and we're definitely doing that look at these you know the sales that are going on now and look at the quality of the animal out there I absolutely mean, uh you don't get that way by raising poor animals no. I mean, these animals are of good quality and uh so i see like i said we're we're you know we've been in this say like, that 18 years i've been doing it now and um the chronic wasting disease has not had an impact on the wildlife or the farm service. It's something I think that, like you say, given the right tooling, we can put it even further behind us. The hysteria there, it's, it's tough to, when I tell people the hysteria is going away or it's not, you know, as bad as it used to be. Well, that's tough for the guy that had to put down an animal for a trace out or in, in, and is having to put it down and give up, sacrifice that animal basically. But at the same time, when I look back five years, 10 years, Boy, when they mentioned CWD or they found a CWD, she's the, you know, made front page headline news, you know, and it was on the cover of Outdoor Life magazine and everybody had it. But now it's it's just something we deal with. Right. You know? I mean it's 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 been a part of the of the culture, the landscape, whatever you want to call it, in the in the West, out in the Rockies oh. for 50, 60 years. Centuries. Yeah, not and, centuries, but uh, yeah. decades. Decades, yep. yeah. And probably a century. They've they've just um, they've just dealt with it. It's right. not um, it's not something that they um, try to regulate out of the landscape. They don't try to eradicate it anymore, and it's not affecting their deer populations my or their home populations. My own home state of North Dakota, I was like to talk about that because, you know, we heard about like in South Dakota, the Wind Cave, where they actually moved deer from or elk from Wind Cave over to Custer so that they could hunt them and they could regularly control the population because where they couldn't hunt them and manage them within Wind Cave, the population was growing so fun, so big. But, so but, just, because I, I, as soon as I hear Wind Cave, I, I, have to, I have to make this clear. So the federal government had a national park. Correct. And it was high-fenced. And they had a population of elk within that high-fenced area. Again, the federal government, not, not private individuals like you and no, I. Federal government, federal park. The population was growing so much, and they already had known positives of CWD within that area, Correct. yet the population was growing, that they cut the fence and they let those animals into the adjacent property into another national park. And, uh, into and, a and, state park, but and, the state park had hunting, so they had a way to manage and control and, them. But, and spread CWD. And spread, no, you know, qu- no question. You know, and to their defense, they're, they're what they're, because I trust me, I didn't let that just go happen easily. Um, their their response was, well, the disease is pretty rampant throughout the Black Hills, so it was also already in Custer. But no matter how you look at it, you still were allowing a disease source to move. I mean, I, I no just, different than if you're, your deer farm exactly. within Pennsylvania, if you're in one of the DMA units where yeah. they're managing it, and you come on CWD, they're still going to put yours down. I so, was looking at, I guess, the uh, hypocrisy end of things exactly. where there's, there's a double standard because... If we have CWD on any any farm in the United States, if there's a, a CWD positive with a, a, a certified livestock operator, yeah. they're not moving animals from that place. Correct. Correct. I mean, they're, it, put, it, they're putting them down, you know. They're, they're going to have to kill them. Which, back to some of what, you know, we didn't mention earlier, probably one of the big things that, that the North American Deer Farmers does is works with our 
our federal lobbyists out in Washington, D.C., and we have worked hard to, to get funding available for indemnity. So when this these herds have to, you know, it's there for the individual animal as well, but a lot of times, by the time you go through the hassle and the paperwork and the time, it's, it's just as easy to sacrifice that one animal and move up from underneath the, you know, the quarantine and move on with your marketing of your other, or the, the other part of your farm. Sure. But when it's the whole herd and you have no other options, you know, it's, and it's, it's pennies on the dollar compared to the value that we know these animals truly are. And I'd just as soon stay in business as give up and take indemnity. But at the same time, it's, a, it's like an insurance program, I guess, is what it is, whether it's crop insurance or disaster programs, whatever. But when, when the wolf's knocking at the door and you've got no other option, at least we've given a kind of a safety net there by you know obtaining this indemnity money and funding right. through Congress, through dictated and through Congress. And there is, um, there's funds also there for research as well, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's a large portion of it goes towards research as well. And, uh, you know, and that's what's really driving us. And, you know, if, if it want to be for the deer industry pushing on, you know, I don't know of any of the wildlife agencies that are out there pushing for funding to do this research. They've, they've moved on, you know. Yeah. I think they've decided that, you know what, it's here, you know, and we're finding it everywhere. If you look for it hard enough, you're probably going to find it. Um, but it, it's how you deal with it when you find it. Uh, earlier, I was mentioned my home state of North Dakota. God, we've had CWD now, I think, for, I'm, I'm thinking, 10 years. And, you know, they find a case here or there. Once in a while, we do nothing different. We didn't change our hunting times, our hunting regulations. We didn't change the amounts we get to hunt. We didn't go in there with sharpshooters. We just monitor it, and we just deal with it like normal life. And it's worked fine. Most people don't realize North Dakota even has chronic wasting disease mm -hmm. because we don't care. Right. You know, another perfect example probably is Illinois. You know, you hear about Wisconsin, but it isn't very far across that border in Illinois. And they have, you know, it just across the border. They have they have a lot of just a as lot many of cases. Yeah, I was going to say that. No one talks about it. There's you a know? bunch. No one cares because they they don't they don't lose their head over it. It's not the hysteria. And even your home state of Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, has been pretty you know has treated it fairly well. They've actually found more through road kills than anything else. So yeah, we just know this past year they, yeah. I think, four out of six were right. road, road kill road animals. Kills. So we know there's more out there. Sure. I think that's probably the take home message. On, <clears throat> excuse me, the take home message on this whole thing. There are more positives out there on the landscape. I can sit here and say I don't think we have any more in the industry. You yeah, know? when you say the landscape, you mean the outside of the the yeah. high fence farming the wild, because you know so if. You know, right now when I, ask, I look at the prevalence in, within the industry, we have a couple herds that are waiting to population that we'll probably find one or two yet. And, you know, and we'll, we're cleaning them up. We've put, we've taken care of our share of the problem. But when I look outside that fence, um, if an area has a 5% infection level, you know, and if you've got a thousand deer out there, well, hey, that means there's 50 of them yep. that's going to be running yep. on positive, yep. you know. Uh, you take some areas in Wisconsin that's got 20% infection, and they got 10,000 deer in them areas. I mean, that's a lot of positive yeah, you start, deer. That's you start reality. Those they're, numbers. Yeah, yeah they're yeah, live quick. deer walking around eating, urinating, you know, yeah. defecating right now in the landscape. That's yep. today. That's happening. People are harvesting them animals, taking them home, and eating them. You know, the people are taking those animals across state lines and moving them. That's reality, you know. And I had to point it out to the Pennsylvania Game Commission in a, in a meeting one time where there were... They're talking about escapes. You want someone to have a deer farm has an escape, you know, and they kept going on about this escapes. And I said, well, you know, we deal with our escapes. We try to find them. And it, well, it happens, you know, the majority of all our animals, I would say, are healthy when they get out. So is it, is it a big deal? Is it any different than your 
you know, neighbor's cow out there standing out there. And it, you know, so regardless, I said, but I said, what about your positive deer? And, you know, and they didn't, you know, I don't know that the light had truly come on yet. And he said, well, what do you mean our positive deer? Because they at that time and only found a few, you know, three or four or whatever. And I said, well, do you think you've killed every deer within the state of Pennsylvania? You've killed every positive deer? You know, and the last thing they found was just a roadkill, like I mentioned. So, you know, they're just, we know there's enough positives to are running them over on the road. Yep. There's bound to be another one. Sure. You know, now how many more? We don't know that. Well, but they, they, it's more, it's, and they're there right now today. We know, statistics tell us, yeah. there are positive deer walking around, we well, know, 23 states, it, for it's, sure. It's funny, too, because the, the, the deer, they don't read the signs at the PA and Maryland border and the PA West Virginia border. It says, do not enter <laughs> if you have CWD. I um, think the neatest thing here, and we probably have to move on off to chronic wasting disease. I do think we give too much time to it, but... Um, the there was a study out of uh, Wyoming, I believe it was, that showed it did not affect the reproduction, the recruitment of of the you know they they're studying mule deer, but of these does because and them and with the mule deer and elk they live to be a lot older, but you know the average deer, the average white age of white tail deer is a year and a half. You know you start getting to be a two and a half, three and a half, that's an old deer. What sure. it takes. 32 months for this disease to impact an animal. Well, do you know how many fawns, that twins and triplets that a white-tailed doe can have in three years, four years, five years? I mean... It's, it's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. And they showed, they proved that the CWD does not affect the reproduction or the recruitment. So it's not going to wipe out the population like we've seen in Wind Cave. It's not going to. Now, in a mule deer, they only have singles. They do have twins, but not as often. Uh, they don't breed until a little bit later. You know, they're, they're just... For whatever reason, mule deer, whether they got chronic wasting disease or not, I mean, many areas of this country, the mule deer population is on the decline. They're very sensitive to predators. They're very sensitive to environmental issues, you know, oil exploration, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the, the land fragmentation, the urban sprawl, the, the changing in farming practices, which, you know, now you get whitetails moving into an area that push out the, white, the mule deer. You know, the mule deer are struggling throughout this country, whether they have chronic wasting disease or not, you know, but... Chronic wasting disease is something we need to manage, but it's not going to wipe out the populations. You know, not not in an animal that it takes three years for it to kick in or to, to affect them, and they can have two or three sets of fawns. Right. You know, it's just well, and like happen. and like you said, um, from uh, from an industry standpoint, we've we've certainly done our our share uh, to 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 manage that. So uh, I think this is a good place for a segue. So we'll. Uh, We'll go into the In the News segment, and we'll be back with you shortly. In the News is brought to you by Five Star Genetics. Now, Five Star Genetics has a 2016 sex semen guarantee. Check this out. They have two bucks that they're focusing on, High Energy, which is a witch doctor son, and Triple Impact, which is a triple crown son. What you do is you purchase three straws or more, and they will guarantee conception from each one of the straws of sex semen. In the case of no conception, they're going to replace these straws with any of the bucks that they collect from 2017. Now, if you want to learn more about their sex semen guarantee for 2016, you can reach out to Elmer Fisher, the farm manager there at Five Star Genetics at 717-275-5019. We thank Five Star for their sponsorship of the In the News segment. Now, In the News... 
We have uh, two updates for you. One coming from the Pennsylvania Deer Farmers Association. The PDFA is is having their 15th annual spring meeting and benefit auction, which is the PA Deer and Outdoor Expo. Now, that's on April 30th. Come join us at the Farm Show Complex in Harrisburg. To find out more about that, you can check out padfa.com and there's some info there on the uh, event that they're having. Now, this uh, this event is the primary driver of funds for the association. They have furniture, crafts, service, deer equipment, hunts, fishing trips, gift certificates, and a whole other slew of great donations uh, from all you out there in the deer industry. Come out and support the PDFA. Again, that's April 30th at the Farm Show Complex in Harrisburg. Now, Nadifa has their uh, annual conference this year, and that is on March 16th, so that'll be uh, Wednesday that starts. They have their new Deer Farmer Seminar, and then uh, on the 17th through the 19th, the the event gets kicked off, and they have a lot of great uh, great seminars and uh, fundraising opportunities. So uh, that's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can check out nadifa.com. And uh, we'll go ahead and get back to our interview with Sean. All right, so we're back from our In the News segment. We're here with uh, Sean Schaefer, the uh, executive director of uh, Nadifa. And I know, uh, I know I wanted to ask you about EHD. And, and what that was, and then uh, what Nadifa's kind of getting into with research and stuff like that. So can you tell, can you tell us what, uh, what EHD is? Yes, Josh, uh, epizootic hemorrhagic disease, uh, blue tongue, you know, and basically they're, they're, not, they're different virus, slightly different, they're both obiviruses. But, you know, we talk about what devastates the white-tailed deer population in this country, what devastates a farmer, what, sh- what puts a farmer out of business fast. It's EHD and blue tongue. And without government regulation. Without, I mean, yeah, they don't, they don't regulate it. They don't yeah. care about it. It don't matter if you had it or not. Right. I, I guess I would like to add, though, uh, in 2012 and 13, and I think even a few people in 2014, through our work with the Congress under uh, in the Farm Bill, we were able to get EHD and blue tongue underneath the, listed underneath the disaster programs. Uh, as we showed the connection with the drought and the, you know the more you know as the water table went down the mud comes up in, and it's more of a perfect breeding ground for these midges the noceums the little Coulicoides sorensis that spreads you're talking about a, a bug a little small bug just tiny fly, bug it, it little fly, gnats it flies around yep and what it just and lands on these animals one bite they claim is all it takes it lands that's on it. one animal bites it and it goes over lands on another animal bites it and it spreads the disease that's it uh is there other animal species that can get it? Yes, especially we've seen in 2012 and 2013, we got hammered hard in the Midwest through our cattle, uh, some elk, so uh, both, yaks. So, so some, I mean, cattle, cattle can, cattle can, can get, get it. And, and that's probably what's really opened up the doors to research is when the cattlemen had to start dealing with this. But um, for cattle have always got it, but I think they've been more of a just a reservoir. You know, they just kind of maintained the virus, overwintered mm-hmm. it, and... Um, the the, mat, the gnat bites that, or the midge bites that cow, and then bites the deer, and it kind of gotcha. spreads it. But with so the different strains that come in, this EHD six uh, um, come along, and basically everything was naive to it. It was hard on the deer, but it was even hard on the cattle because they had never seen that strain before. 
So yeah. what does it what does it do? I mean, like, so it's what? Like so, Ebola of the cervid industry, they literally bleed so, to death. They're so a hemorrhaging. Bug, a bug bites a deer, and they they bleed out basically. The bug spreads that virus into that. And the neat right. thing, you could take a syringe and suck the blood out of that. Uh, let's say a cow or a deer or whatever, an animal that has the EHD virus in yep. it. You could you could pull that that blood out of that animal inject it into another animal and it won't get EHD cannot spread the disease from animal really? to animal really but hmm. that in that in a several they don't know all what Kulakoides species truly are implicated but they know Kulakoides serensis for sure cuz not all of them do it but the Kulakoides serensis something in their saliva or in their saliva tract whatever when they get the virus and it might it manifest or mutates through them whatever they do they spread the disease so you get rid of the bug you get rid of the disease gotcha so what are what are some of the the management things that that you see farmers doing a lot of spraying you know and a lot of people do uh uh, misting systems spraying systems and you know the the trouble with those though is you're kind of blanketing the whole farm and you're napalming the whole barn you know they say napalm but you're just you're trying to kill every bug you can but at the same time, you're killing a lot of the good bugs. You're right. killing your bumblebees and your dung beetles, and you know there's a lot of beneficial, you know, dragonflies and a lot of good, good insects out there. We truly need. Um, so it's tough to pick and choose. Uh, but through the work of the North North American Deer Farmers with our USDA Agriculture Research Services (ARS), uh, we're working with entomologists to more target, use more, you know, use more products, insecticides that are geared towards the midge, educating them as to what time of day. These bugs are so small. I mean, they don't fly during the heat of the day because they're so tiny, they're echoskeleton, the sun dries them out. So they got to fly at night when it's moist, you know, and um, they're not very good flyers. Their body's way bigger, like a bumblebee, the body's way bigger than their wings. They don't fly very far, very fast, very high. Um, now they can get up. They're so small, like aerial plankton. They've been referred to as some of these trade winds or these hurricanes come through. They'll take them up into that jet stream, and then them bugs can go thousands of miles. So that's oh, wow. what's tough about controlling them. That's just tough to, about limiting the disease to your, you know, your area, whatever. When it, it can get blown into you. But what you got to do is you got to monitor. You got to you know see. Hey, am I getting any? Am I starting to get some sick animals? Uh, so we're working on things like a vaccine, and we're doing that through several different ways. There's uh, the Agricultural Research Service is looking at some. A company in South Dakota got some money through a, a board that I sit on with Kansas State University and the um, Homeland Security, Center for Excellence in hmm. Virgin Zoonotic Animal Diseases. CZAD. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, CZAD. Uh Anyhow, they've put up, Homeland Security's put up money to study this EHD because it's an ovovirus. You know, they spend a lot of money on... Um, foot and mouth disease, African horse sickness, and a lot of these foreign animal diseases worrying about what happens if them diseases ever got into the U.S. agriculture. You know, how would that devastate the agriculture over here? We do know our wildlife. We know wild white-tailed deer can spread all those diseases. So if it got into the wildlife over here, it'd be, you know, how would we eradicate it out of the wildlife to keep it from getting into our cattle? Well, I brought to the table the fact that we have an ovovirus, you know, several strains of EHD, EHD 1, 2, and 6, 
geez, I think there's 17 or 13 strains of the blue tongue right here on American soil right now that devastate our, our cervid population, both every, farm every and wild. Yeah, every year. Right. And as well as, you know, got into the livestock industry. And, and boy, that got some attention. And so they're working on it, putting up money for for vaccines to develop, actually a commercially available vaccine that works more on a molecular, molecular level, uh, you know, to, to attack it where it needs to be. It's like the vaccinations you received as a child, sure. you know. Um, so we're working on those. But, you know, even with a good vaccine, if you have a vaccine that's, you know, 80% effective, which is we have darn, darn good vaccine, that means out of 100 head, 20 of them are still going to get sick and die. Right. You know, people got to accept that fact. But but it's still better than a guy that loses 100%. Sure. Now, so, you, were, you, were, you, were, you were telling me about the uh, the uh, shade cloth product. Well, can, you, can you talk about that a little? Which leads into this, you know, we said earlier, you must have that midge. Right. It's all about the bug. It's all about the bug. Yep. So vaccine, no vaccine, whatever, you can control the bug. You can control the disease. Now, back there, you know, you got to accept a certain amount of loss. We can't control every bug. Just like the spraying systems, the misting systems, the fogging systems, you know, uh, do, do you spray a residual out here on your material? Next time it rains, that's gone. Do you go out every night and spray a mist out into the fog and, and try to kill everything flying? I mean, it's just it's expensive. It's tough. Uh, tough it's environment. Time-consuming. Time-consuming. Not good for the producer having right. to inhale that stuff. Nadif uh, is working with a company out of Switzerland called Vestergaard that uh, developed a product they've been using in Africa for years to control malaria, malaria to control the African horse sickness and um, the, the industry for years uses shade cloth material, you know, it's uh, material we've been hanging up basically to, you know, prevent dogs from chasing along the fence and chasing our deer, help keep our deer from crashing into the fence, using it in our, like, our alleyways to guide them into the handling systems, uh, using it for the shade itself and the wind barriers. So this product that we've been hanging all these years, a company in Switzerland makes the exact same material but as they're pouring the plastic and building the plastic they're adding an insecticide hmm. so the insecticide is not on the outside it's in, in, it's incorporated in it. incorporated is the word they use it's incorporated throughout so it can't it doesn't wash off it doesn't wear off uh they're saying they're, that it will break down in time in the sun. Sure, everything now, does. Yeah, everything does. And they don't know now, is that two years, three years, whatever. Uh, so what I'm looking at is, uh, and, and we talked earlier too about these bugs not being very good flyers. They fly basically a foot to four foot. Okay. You know, so you should go to the ground because they, 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 they fly and they land on everything they can so they can rest and fly again. So... If you had a barrier up on your fence, you you know, the, you, the bugs would come land on it, fly down to the bottom, go underneath it, you know. So you'd want to start to the bottom so that they, they don't go under it. But if you put up a barrier from the bottom up to, let's say, five feet, every bug flying is going to land on that fence and either crawl through it. They're that small. They can crawl through the little hmm. weave. But they're, when they crawl through it, they're going to get loaded with insecticide. They crawl up it or crawl down, and they normally crawl up and over um, they're getting covered with insecticide, and it's going to kill the bugs. Now, like we said earlier, the aerial plankton, the winds, they still can blow up and over. So, sure. you know, you, you monitor your herd like we do now, and if you notice that, hey, you're getting an animal that appears to have EHD, and now's when you bring out your fogger or your mister, and you you get the bugs within your, your farm. Right. But there shouldn't be any new ones coming in. You put them between the breeding grounds, the mud we talked about earlier, the riverbanks, the, 
ponds. You know, if you can put this, this shade cloth up between there, you know, there's an excellent chance. That, you know, you put out a product that's going to kill bugs seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I mean, 24-7, it's, it's killing, you know. Uh, and we, we know they're not out there flying during the heat of the day, but they are all night long. You is know? that something, so, that shade cloth that you're talking about, is that something that can be purchased we, from Nadifa? Right now, at this time, the North American Deer Farmers is the only place to purchase the material. Oh, wow. They have supplied us with the product, and... Uh, we're working uh, some deals with some larger distributors within the country to try to get it out there so it's more readily available sure. through, you know, hopefully your local farm store or wherever so everybody can have it. And gotcha. the ideal thing I'd like to see is the my neighbors using it for fly control on their farms, and, yep. which is a neat thing, too. We we all see this, you know, we watch these videos and these, we look at these pictures everybody takes of their deer and flies. It's amazing the flies that are out there yep. in this country. And, you know, you see that in all these pictures and all these videos, you know, this material also will take care of the flies. Interesting. So, you know, if I can get my neighbors to start using it, uh, you know, on their farms, I mean, they could be, in, you know, intersecting the bugs before they ever even get to me. Yeah, there's know? nothing so, like uh, black flies everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Those things are annoying. So that's as a product right now. If anybody is interested in, in trying this, uh, we do have uh, kind of a limited supply, but we've got quite a bit of it on hand that we I think we can, you know, meet the initial supply. Uh, contact the North American Deer Farmers and ask them about their okay. shade cloth that you know for fighting ehd all right um the um so ehd i mean where so i'm in i'm in northern pennsylvania we i've never had a case ehd at my place not that i know of um we just typically don't see it in that region where where primarily is it found where i mean i know that's a lot of that's a lot to to take on it's a lot of states but regionally it's we think about the southern Areas is having EHD in blue. So the Gulf you know? Gulf Coast over through Texas, correct? You know, yeah. and but but when you look at the maps and you talk to the you know the people that are actually tracking it, you know Missouri for whatever reason and Florida both for whatever reason those two are the melting pot of oviruses. They have every strain of EHD and every strain of blue tongue. Why we don't know, but they do. So those two states have every strain. But other than that, I'll tell you in the in those drought years in that 2012 2013. Just about eighty percent of the United States was covered. You know, 80%. up into Pennsylvania. Yeah, we had know. we had cases in the southern part. Yeah, yeah, and over into Maine. Yeah, well, didn't it know, go through like, New York, Rhode Island, yes, and up the East uh, Coast? New Jersey? This past year, for whatever reason, got whacked. Yeah, how about it, up into Canada? Did it go that? Far? And it goes right up through the uh, western half of North Dakota, eastern Montana, all the way up into Saskatchewan and Alberta. So. It, it it's not a southern disease by any right. means you know when the time is right fall of the year um it, it spreads like hotcakes you know and we like, see primarily that that time of year when in, we see the most infection and, and obviously well, it's death pretty yeah. much for the most part is from uh end of august september october exactly, gotcha. exactly yeah. um is there is there I mean, is it a treatable disease? Is it something... You know, years ago, they used to just drag them out and bury them. I mean, there wasn't much you could do. They were bleeding to death so fast. But I'll tell you what, is this industry, like we said earlier, we've got healthy animals. It's amazing what the, you know, the, the things the, the deer farmers come up with. Uh, you know, it, you're not necessarily treating the the EHD. You're treating the secondary. Symptoms. Or the symptoms. symptoms. Yeah, you're sure. treating the fevers and, the, you know, the bleeding and... Uh, so you take care of that, the secondaries, and you take care of the rest of it. Now, if a deer lives through it, then they developed an immunity to it, which, you know, talk about the innovation of the deer farming. Uh, 
we know about people that are given, you know, blood trans transfusions, you know, and then we give them plasma, moving them from healthy deer to that deer. Because what happens, you save that deer, but its system is so overloaded, you know, and this white blood cell count is so low. And, well, the best thing you can do, you know, it may save it, but 10 days later it might die of something else. So that's where now they're, they're coming in and taking from, you know, plasma from a healthy animal to give to. Yeah, the, the service, the servant industry really is incredible in, in how they take care of their animals. Um, if you think about, I mean, if, if, if you said to me uh, 10 years ago, I'm going to give my deer a blood fan transfusion, I'd be like, how about you just give it a, you know, a 22 bullet and we take it down to the butcher and, right. and just, you know, put it out of its misery. But we've, we've evolved to the point where um, we've come up with, uh, you know, creative, creative methods to, to save these guys, whether it be, you know, fluid treatments or plasma or just, you know, we, we, we care so much for these animals we don't want to see them go, and we have a vested stake in them that we come up with these ways to try to save them, and that's that's just great. You know, there 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 are animals, there are livestock, there are livelihood. You know, and I think that's the big thing that people got to remember is, you know, it's tough to make a, a living with a dead animal. I mean, we they need to be alive when you sell them. I you do. know, whether you deliver them to the slaughter market for venison or to the hunt market or or wherever, I mean, you, you, the best time to sell them or move them is when they're alive, you know, so Absolutely. you got to keep them healthy. I mean, you can't make, you can't make a living on poor stock, nope. you know, and people care about your animals. We are, you know, animal husbandry, you know, we're, we're farmers, we're ranchers, you know, through and through. Absolutely. So, um, so we, we covered CWD, we covered EHD. I'd say I'm, I'm burnt out on disease. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about something fun. Uh, the annual Nadifa conference is coming up on March 17th, 18th, and 19th, and that's in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, correct? Correct. Okay. This is the 34th? 34th. 34th. 34 years that uh, Nadifa's having their conference. Can you tell us a little bit about um, why you put the conference on, and then uh, we'll talk about some of the things that go on at the conference. Yeah, you know, there's several different things, education, and, and actually we'll have the 16th, the day before the conference even starts, we'll do a new deer farmer seminar. And okay. we do that purposely the day before so that that focus is on that new deer farmer. So what, that new what deer is, farmer is... What is that? What, what goes on during they, that? They'll cover everything from fence design, handling systems, nutrition, breeding... Uh, artificial insemination, genetics, marketing. So if I'm, a, if I'm a new deer farmer, I can just call up to Nadif and say, hey, I want to be a part of this new deer mm -hmm. farmer seminar. And and basically I can get the almost the, the full gamut of what it is to be a deer farmer. And, and it's basically a, a course. A course, one day course. And uh, it's kind of a, you're going to be just in a room with new deer farmers. So you can ask that question that everybody's too embarrassed to ask because you don't want that old deer farmer to look down on sure. you, you know, and everybody's you always hear there's no such thing as a stupid question, but try to ask a stupid question sometime in a room full of old deer yeah. farmers. You know, so guys, you, have, you have different speakers come in for that. Did, yeah, everybody's, did, yeah, they'll have eight or nine speakers lined up for that right. day to run through and just, and, and then they leave that day and they can partake in the rest of the event, hopefully a little more educated on the industry and, and listen in on all the other seminars we have scheduled because we'll have basically those same seminars but ramped up a lot more for the yep. older breeder you know the more so it's more of an experience. advanced class yeah yep. and so we'll have like say nutrition classes uh reproduction classes uh the latest disease like we've talked about the ehd and, and blue tongues and the, the cwd we'll have classes on those talk or seminars on those giving everybody updates um 
auction fundraiser. I mean, it's it's a necessary evil. Everybody gets probably auctioned out, and but at the same time, all these things we've been talking about here, you know, it, the necessary the C, evil the in CWD life is the funding. Research yeah, and the, the, the the regulations and the lobbying and then EHD and all that the that, North, that costs that costs money. Costs money. The so North the, American deer farmers, their one fundraiser a year yeah. is at that event, and that's that's what, how you guys generate your your budget for the year. Right, exactly. Just from that event. From that one event. So, so it's it's it, that important. It's that important. We really stress everybody to attend. We stress everybody to hopefully purchase something at the fundraiser sure. and to donate. If you have any type of donation whatsoever, you know, as unique as it can be, I mean. Please call and, and, it's, and contact. It's, it's actually really easy. I've, 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 had, uh, I've had the pleasure of going to quite a few of these, and it's really easy to go home with a truck full of furniture <laughs> or, or lobster tail. Lobster tail, <laughs> sure. There's, um, there's, there's just all sorts of stuff. I mean, the cool. There's, there's western wear. Duck hunts. There, yes. Yeah, well, the, the hunts are, are at. There's fishing trips. You name it. So. And great genetics as yep. well. You know, uh, from the. Semen we sell for the, uh, we, we have these, we call them the clubs, uh, semen clubs, where we have kind of a little jury pool that gets together, and, and they try to pick the the top yearling, the top two-year-old, the top three-year-old, uh, the, the widest deer, and and every year to see, and then and the whole thing kind of started to see if that big yearling could be the biggest two-year-old and the biggest three-year-old, if they could go all the way through to, one, the, 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 the guess the hierarchy of the the super sires we call them you know the right. ones that make it to the top there's not and many of those i'll tell you what it's a struggle <laughs> yeah not many deer have ever went up through the ranks very few but uh it, it really is a neat way to promote to the industry that's given to us to kind of give back to them a little bit to show hey these these top 10 these deer made it to the top 10 and, um you know when you go to these auction sales it's tough to buy one straw and that's all we put is one straw of each of these but you know, you just got to buy five times the money or something. Sure. You know, that's difficult. But yep. here's a way to get some of the top producers. Guy, just that one. Spot. And it helps. It helps raise money. For oh, it's huge what that does for our income for our, yep. our fundraisers. So yeah, there's so it's a lot of neat things out there. Live animals. We sell some animals. Uh, breeding stock. So, um, how's the facility that it's going to be at? Pretty pretty nice. It's I've very been there. accessible. It isn't in town. It's on the edge of town. I mean, you know, that's something I've always heard. And, you know, we're farmers and ranchers. We I, I don't want to be dragging a big trailer, you know, pulling a booth or whatever sure. downtown no. wherever. I mean, I just we I want to be out somewhere that's accessible to the interstate, close to the airport, and uh, a nice, comfortable hotel. Nothing Great. super sure. fancy, but something affordable. Um, it, it's a family event. That's the neat thing about it. It's yep. under one roof. You can show up, take your jacket off, and stay there and there's a uh there's a trade show that goes on at that too there's uh there's vendors from all over the country i believe we have the largest event the most booths of any servant event in the nation uh you know we'll have right around that 150 booths you know and that represents everything from companies that sell waters to companies that sell vaccines to uh the producers that are selling their breeding stock uh, it's got a little bit of everything. Feed companies. Yeah, there's. Uh, I know there's there's hunting blinds. There, I mean, you you name it, it's, it's there. So, I mean, a person could could come and just uh, you know they could spend easily a whole day on the trade show floor talking to the individual vendors and and, the, uh, and just finding all sorts of stuff. Just the networking too of you know this industry is about marketing. You know, and no matter what, you know, when I raise my deer up in you know Turtle Lake, North Dakota, they need to go somewhere. Where's Turtle Lake? <laughs> <laughs> so. It, you know, and, and there are no hunt ranches in my area, so I need to be able to get together with that guy that owns the hunt ranch, you know. And same as when I'm thinking of new breeding stock, you know, and I'm, you know, 
it's it's a neat place to you know it isn't the the build it and they will come mentality you know we can't just sit at home and put up fence and raise deer or sit at home and build a hunt ranch and think the hunters are going to come i mean you got to get out and market and part of that is networking getting out there just like facebook where we're going to tell you know somebody when i blew my nose today uh <laughs> you know you, you go in there and actually seeing a person looking them in the eye and who's that person on the other end of that you know pressing them keys on facebook or deer farmer or wherever else uh, you know getting a look in the eye shake their hand and get to know that person Absolutely. that's that's how you build relationships that's how you build you know business relationships. and this this industry especially i mean i would say it's very very family oriented and um it, it's it's a very even though we, we all have a product that we're trying to sell or or business that we're trying to conduct we're all friends and it's a it's a real tight-knit group and and people are very welcoming to uh, new people within the industry. I mean, I see new people all the time, and you know, they're they're they ask you some questions, and you know, five minutes into it, you're joking around with them like you've been friends for twenty years. So, you know, after eighteen years of doing this, cool. uh, and my, my daughter was born the day that I uh, bought my first deer. Oh wow! She just had her eighteenth uh, birthday here, January fifth. So I know I've been doing this eighteen years, but I said I think about that. You know, gosh, she's turning eighteen, but at the same time, I said think about the friendships and. The people have gotten known this industry for 18 years. I mean, that's that's a long time, you know. Absolutely. And, and I hope to be doing another 18, you know. And um, one thing that you know we all know and we see a, a large portion of this industry is Amish. I would almost, I think at, at one time I thought we figured out almost 40 percent. I would say that's so, pretty accurate. You know, when you think about that a little bit, no matter how high tech we are and how high, you know high tech they are even getting, um, there's still a little disconnect there. So. Part of this, the neat thing of this Nadifa trade show, and it's difficult for them to attend and travel, but they will make that trip, you know, just like a lot of other people from around the country. But if you're strictly marketing, you know, electronically, you're probably missing 40% of your market. You know? So that's where I think we still, whether it's old-fashioned or not, we need these trade shows. We need this, you know, the, these conferences. We need to get people together in a room yet, you know, and... Uh, and just like I say, brainstorm. You know, it's, just it's it, fellowship, whatever it, you want to call it. It's it's abso- good for everybody. Absolutely, there, there's something I think that's generally lost in today's world uh, with with the uh, technology we have. But that personal interaction with people is is really important. Um, so again, that's the 34th annual Nadifa conference, and that's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the 17th through the 19th, with the New Deer Farmer Seminar on the 16th. Um, is there a place where people can go and, and find out more about that? Can you go on the, the Nadifa.org, Nadifa.org. N-A-D-E-F-A.org. Perfect. Um, you know, one thing to mention there too, is we do have a sale, the Nadifa open, uh, that will be that. I got to look here and I can't promise you that it's Friday, going to be Friday morning or, or Saturday morning, but it's going to be in with that event. So there'll be a fairly good auction sale there as well for people to come and, and, you know, to, to purchase breeding stock at that auction gotcha. you know that's not even tied in with the fundraiser sure. that goes back money goes back to the producer so great so it sounds like a pretty pretty packed uh, event very good yeah there's something for everybody and there's i know there's a uh an antler competition there's a dark gun competition there's just there's so much stuff that that uh, nadifa puts on at this conference the antler competition is probably i'm glad you mentioned that and, and that's something we work with the safari club international years ago we entered into a, a, an agreement with them signed agreement that they will come and score our animals so they're they're scored by the official safari club international scoring system by official safari club scorers 
Um, and these guys are these guys are the top rate scorers in the country. They they score more whitetails than any any deer farmer or rancher could ever dream of. You know, they've, when, they've done them all. I think back years ago when we first started growing these seen these deer, people they doubted the scores. They said, "Oh, them guys are inflating the scores. They're stretching their tapes. They're you know they're starting at the sure. tail, whatever." I mean, they're and they. You know, a lot of that, first, I think, I think people are nervous to enter animals because it wouldn't be as big as their advertised score, you know. And so, but that has really not panned out, and it's turned out to where, you know, sometimes the score was actually bigger than what they were advertising <laughs> it, you know, and yep. because these guys knew what they were doing when Absolutely. they scored them. And so that event is really growing. Just to go there to show up and see and get the handle and whole look at all the biggest antlers that grew this year. And there's a pile of them. Oh, it's amazing. All that is, it's almost gotten too big. We almost need to get it set, to, you know, apart from everything else just so right. they can get the scoring done. Right. So. Yeah, some of those bucks are so big, it might take a half hour to, to score them up. It's amazing you know. when there's that many tines and points, yeah. and they do a tremendous job. They yeah. give everybody equal, uh, work, you know, treatment. So. Well, great. Um, anything else uh, before we close out? No, I just want okay. to thank you for what you do for the industry and, and getting help and to spread the word and getting the education out there to the members and the promotion of the industry. You've been a long time the DFA member, and, and we thank you for that. Oh, I thank you, Sean. Um, with that, uh, we'll wrap up, and, and, and just a quick thanks to Sean and the, the Nadifa crew there. Uh, again, if you want to find out more information about Nadifa, just go over to nadefa.org, and you can check them out. They have an email there. There's lots of uh, links for, for all sorts of different information within the, the servant industry. And again, thanks, for, John, Sean, for joining us. You bet. Thank you, John. Well, that wraps up our show. I uh, hope you enjoyed the interview with Sean Chaffrey. Obviously, I can see that he has a lot of, uh, of knowledge on regulatory aspects, whether it be dealing with uh, CWD or uh, you know a lot of disease prevention uh, as far as EHD and, and blue tongue go. So again, uh, check out uh, Nadifa over there at nadifa.org, N-A-D-E-F-A.org, and... Um, uh, stop by their website and check that out. Now, just as a reminder, we have the uh, the annual conference coming up this week. Um, that's going to be the 16th through 19th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Love to see all of you out there. Uh, feel free to stop by the uh, Servid Solutions booth. Say hi. Introduce yourself. We don't know each other. Uh, love to, to chat with you about a few things. Uh, remember, if you appreciate the work that we do here at Servid Solutions, and North American Deer Talk. You can sign up for our CSM program. Cost you five ninety nine a month or sixty bucks for the year. Help support the show. Help uh, support the the work and research we're doing on uh, vaccines and disease prevention. Help make our health management program better. And with that, stay tuned for another episode of North American Deer Talk.